Um, before I begin, I was encouraged to hear Joe <coughs> say about prayer, because quite often we forget to pray for the spiritual needs of each other. And if any of you want to do a little study on your own, just go and look up Paul's prayers. There's a lot of Paul's prayers in the scriptures, and you'll find that the greatest majority of Paul's prayers is for the spiritual well-being of the saints. I have a confession to make tonight, and that is a number of Sundays ago when I had been asked to preach, and the Lord had given me a message. He had also given me the way in which to present the message. And I thought, oh, I'm not sure that that's going to go over so well. So, in his grace, he's given me another message. And tonight I have to deliver it like he told me to two or three messages ago. You know, we tend to read the scriptures and we can read the gospels. And I'm thinking in particular right now for tonight, John's gospel. And we seem to have a disconnect that we've forgotten who it is writing and what they were going through and feeling at the time and what they're writing about. So, what I'm doing tonight is something I've never done before, and that is I'm going to be speaking to you as if I was the Apostle John. You see, John was the only disciple that stood at the cross of Jesus. So I would like to just tell you what it was like when I was there at the cross. The events leading up to the cross, the night before, we had celebrated the Passover. We went out to the garden. Judas betrayed Jesus and the soldiers came to take him. And when they did, Jesus said, let these go their way. And all the disciples fled. I followed Jesus everywhere he went from that point on. And we got into the high priest's house. I knew the high priest personally. So I was very familiar with the high priest. And I had sensed and knew that Peter was following behind at a distance. But I went right into the high priest's house. I heard everything that took place. I went back to the door and I heard Peter deny the Lord. And when the cock crowed, I saw Peter start to weep but I lost track of where he went. I don't know where he went. And then when Jesus was charged by Pilate, 
when the people said, crucify him, crucify him, I followed Jesus to the place of a skull where he was to be crucified. And when I got there, his mother was with me, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdalene. Those were the only ones that were with me. And I witnessed him, the soldiers, nail his hands and his feet to the cross. I'll never forget that scene. It's burnt into my memory. But you know, when I wrote my gospel, I didn't say much about it. If you read what Matthew wrote and Mark and Luke, they expounded more than what I said about that. And yet I was the only eyewitness there at the cross. And I saw them lift him up. And he was lifted up. And I remembered I remembered him saying, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and those who looked lived instead of being bitten by the snakes. And there he was lifted up. And he says, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all to me. I trust that today, as I speak to you about the cross, as you focus on what took place in the cross and what Jesus did, that you will have been so convicted, if you're not a believer, to put your trust in him. Those first three hours after Jesus was crucified, the people came by and they mocked him, the soldiers, the rulers of the people, and they mocked him. Even the two thieves derided him. I was there and I listened to it all. But then one of the thieves says, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. What a joy it was for me to hear those words. He recognized who Jesus was and he was a king and he was coming back and he was going to have a kingdom and he wanted to be part of it. That was the first three hours. And then suddenly, everything turned dark. At noon hour, everything became as if it was midnight and darkness covered the whole land. And I could feel it. You could feel the darkness. There was something going on that was so evil. I had no idea what that was. But I could feel it. You could cut the air with a knife. And we stood there at the cross. And there was dead silence. No one spoke. Not a soul spoke. I wondered what was going on. I had no idea 
what I was witnessing. In fact, you know, you may not realize it, but I was only in my mid-twenties. And this was the one, he was the one that loved me. And everybody knew me as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And as I contemplated that, all the rest of the disciples said, fled. Why? They were afraid. In fact, even after he was crucified and we met in the upper room, they locked all the doors for fear of the Jews. But I stood there at the cross. I had no fear. Yes, it was a difficult scene to watch, to see my beloved being crucified. But I had no fear. And I began to realize it was because I knew Jesus loved me. Uh, do you have fear? Is fear plaguing you? The whole world has been in fear for over two years. In fear of what? Death. I wrote, perfect love casts out fear. You see, I knew it. I experienced what it was like for Jesus to love me. In fact, the other disciples were looking to me to get answers because I was the closest to Jesus. That night that we celebrated the supper, Jesus said that the one, there's one here that's going to betray me. And Peter motioned to me, you know, ask him, ask him. <laughs> I asked Jesus. And he says, the one that dips with me in the cup is the one that's going to betray me. He told me that. The others thought when Judas got up and went out, he was going to get something because he had the money. I knew differently. Why? Because Jesus loved me. And here I am now standing at this cross, and the foreboding atmosphere was something I'll never forget. It was as if the whole universe of whatever was evil in the whole world was being concentrated right there at that cross. And yet, it didn't affect me. If anything, I was confused. At the end of that last three hours of darkness, and there was dead silence. I didn't record much, as I say. And I heard out of that silent darkness, Jesus cried, I thirst. And they gave him some vinegar to drink. A moment or two went by. And he cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My mind went back and I thought, I remember those words from somewhere. And then as I went through my memory bank, I remember David writing a psalm in which he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? 
and from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. And this then struck me. He said, you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. I realized Jesus didn't cry that because he didn't know what was happening. He knew perfectly well what was happening. He was bearing the weight of the sins of the whole world. And God was a holy God. And he could not look on sin. And Jesus took upon himself the sins of us all and bore in his body our sins. Have you ever contemplated that? Even if we were to take this room and the sins that we have committed from the time we were born, now take this as a visual. The sins that he bore, he bore from the time of Adam right through to the end of time. And you know, I still cannot wrap my head around that. I have absolutely no idea what that must have been like. There I was standing there knowing that there was some evil presence. I had no idea. And the reason I didn't was because he was taking all of that in his own body on the cross. Then he cried, Finished! What was that? Finished was his cry. It was decades after before I really realized. And then he cried with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And I remembered him saying, Nobody, I, I lay myself down of my own. Nobody takes my life from me. That's what he was doing. And he gave up the spirit. And we're standing there, the three Marys and I. Our world had crashed around us. The one that we had hoped that was going to come and restore Israel and he would set up a kingdom and we would have peace from our enemies. All our hopes were dashed. He had died. And then suddenly, the soldiers started to come. They had been given instructions to break the legs of those that were crucified because they were, the Jews would not allow them to be on those crosses because it was this Passover. And they broke the legs of the two thieves. And when they came to Jesus and seeing that he'd already died, the soldier took a spear and pierced his side. And I witnessed the fact. Blood and water came out. I hardly knew what to think until my mind went back to last night. And we celebrated the Passover. And he took bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. 
Then afterwards he took the cup. And he says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And here I was witnessing. He had given his body, and now his blood was poured out. And yet, I really didn't understand. I didn't really understand what was happening. But what I did sense was the atmosphere changed. That evil that was so present absolutely dissipated. It was gone. I felt different. It felt as if a load had been lifted off me that I couldn't explain. And then I witnessed them taking him down from the cross, taking the nails out, Joseph of Arimathea and Nathaniel coming and carrying his body away to a tomb, a new tomb that Joseph had already prepared. And they put him in the tomb. We didn't know what to do. We ended up gathering together in the upper room. All our hopes had been dashed. We were nursing our wounds. The one that we had put all our hope in was now in a grave. But on the third day, Mary went to the tomb And she found that the stone had been rolled away and Jesus wasn't there. And she came back with the message that he had risen. Peter and I ran. I outran Peter this time. I got there first. But I didn't go into the tomb. Peter just came charging up behind, went right into the tomb. And he witnessed what was in the tomb. With the clothing was there. And the napkin that it would have been about his head was lying at a distinct place. And I went into the tomb after him. What I didn't understand then took me a number of years before I understood. That's why I didn't write too much. Because I wrote my gospel after all the other gospels had been written. Decades later. And as I reflected upon it, in my mind, I went back to the cross. Come back with me to the cross once again. There were things going on there that were not visible to the naked eye. I was not aware of the fact then that Jesus had become sin, that even that I was a sinner that needed him to save me. But now, I've had the opportunity to read read some of the other Gospels that were written, and I got a lot of help when I read some of Paul's epistles. I got to read them all. And Paul started to write about things that I really, at that time, I didn't really understand. He wrote about the fact that when I was standing there, I was crucified with Christ. When he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried with him. 
When he was raised, I was raised with him. Your pastor's been talking about this. It would be good to go back and listen to some of those messages. You don't get it the first time round. I know it took me years to begin to understand what this was all about. And one of the important things that I began to realize was when Paul wrote that we've been baptized into Christ, I had to get a while to get my head around that. You know, even Peter, Peter says a lot of the things that Paul writes, you know, they're difficult to understand. And they are. But here I was. I was placed into Christ. That's the meaning of baptism. It means to place into something. You can be placed into water, placed into fire. I was placed into Christ. Why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because there's going to come a day when he's coming to take all those that have put their faith and trust in him. And you're going to hear a shout and the archangel's voice and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will be raised first. And those of us who are alive and we are in Christ will be raised. If you're not in Christ, you won't be raised. It's as simple as that. But that took a long time going over that. When the resurrection of Christ took place in the morning, before I even went to the tomb, something transpired in my life that I wasn't aware of. It was as if I'd become totally new. It was as if I had a new life. Years later, I realized that that's exactly what happened to me. I received a new life when I was raised with Christ. Then, 40 days later, we were all gathered together in that upper room. And you know, we received the Holy Spirit. And again, at the time, didn't really realize what this was all about. We didn't. The Holy Spirit came. I remember Jesus talking about the fact he was going to send this Holy Spirit that would be with us forever. But when that happened, wow, talk about a change that happened in our lives. I mean, all the disciples were on fire. We were all on fire for Christ. We went out witnessing about Jesus Christ from that point on. And the Holy Spirit was with us. And he was helping us. He was ministering to us. He was working in the hearts of those that were listening. And many people came to salvation. Many, we witnessed many. Baptisms, I lost count. There were so many baptisms, I lost count. As I've reflected on this, and as I've gone back over my gospel, there were so many things that I recorded that nobody else did. And it was because I was the eyewitness to what transpired and also because I was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this might be something that maybe you've read and it hasn't registered with you, so I want to read it. This is in chapter 12 that I wrote. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I am come into the world as light 
that everyone that believes on me may not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. Wow. Even if they hear and do not keep them, I do not judge him. For I am not coming that I might judge the world, but that I might save the world. He that rejects me and does not receive my words has him who judges him, the word which I have spoken, that shall judge him in the last day. If you're not prepared to come and repent of your sins, confess them before the Lord, you will be responsible for them. That's what Jesus said. You'll be judged in the last day. I've been asked a number of times if there's anything that I've written that I might think is more important than something else. Well, it's difficult, but there's some things that I wrote that no one else wrote about. So what I'd like to share with you are the ones that come to mind. I'll take one from my gospel, and I wrote three epistles. I'll take one from the epistle. And then I also wrote another book that you should be familiar with. It's entitled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And I'll take a quote from there. I'm quite certain that if I was to ask you to quote something from my gospel, I think that most of you probably learned this quite a while ago, and especially if you have attended a church. And if I started it, I know you'll finish it. What do you think it is? Yeah, well, yeah, John 3.16. You all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. I did not come into the world to save the world, to judge the world, but that the world through me might be saved. And you know, that verse has been used all around the world. It is amazing. Many have heard that and have come to Jesus to receive salvation for their sins. God so loved the world. If you studied the word love and you've come up with the Greek word, uh, <laughs> oh, help me, um, Lisa, agape love, that's it. Agape love. I can tell you the definition of agape love is John 3.16. God loved us so much whether we loved him or not. He wasn't looking for anything in return. And he's lavished his love on us. And he's drawing us by his love. Believe me. I know. Jesus loved me. I knew that. And that has held me in good stead all my lifetime. I've gone through many difficulties. In fact, at one time, I mean, they were so fed up of me preaching, and they wanted to shut me up that they boiled me in oil, and that they couldn't kill me. 
You know, I went through stuff. I've gone for, through persecution. I was banished to Patmos. The verse that I think, again, many of you would remember from my first epistle, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That one, I wonder how many of you really realize what that is referring to. When you first trusted in Christ, if you have, and you confessed your sins, and God has been faithful and just, and you know that your sins have been forgiven, you have peace that you didn't have before because your sins have been forgiven. You've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. When that took place, you received the righteousness of Christ. You cannot be unrighteous and still receive righteousness. When you've received the righteousness of Christ, you're no longer unrighteous. How many times do we really think that? That's what happened when you were first saved. You've been cleansed from all unrighteousness. Your righteousness is not dependent on your performance. Otherwise, one day I failed and I've sinned. Oh, I'm unrighteous now. Oh, tomorrow I'm going to try better and I'm going to be righteous now. The believer's life is not back and forth from one day I'm righteous and the next day I'm unrighteous. All right? When you take that kind of a stance, it's easy then for somebody to convince you that you're going to lose your salvation. Not possible. When God calls you righteous, he sees you righteous regardless of your act. That doesn't mean to say that we minimize sin. I'm not saying that. But you are now righteous. You're no longer unrighteous. That's been done away with. A verse from what I wrote in the revelation of Jesus Christ I wrote this, Behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. They which have pierced him, and all the tribes of the land shall wail because of him. Beloved, he's coming back. But I saw him, and what he looks like when he's coming back. No longer as the savior of sinners, but he's coming back as the judge. That day is coming very soon. I urge you, knowing that that day is coming soon, you need to come and make peace with God tonight. Don't put it off. I know what it's like. I came under conviction as a young child, and I knew that I needed to Receive Jesus as my Savior, and I've kept putting it off. But you know what happens is every time you do that, it becomes easier to put it off. And eventually, you end up with a hardened heart. 
what would have affected you in hearing the gospel message and the sufferings of Christ. And it tucked, tugged at your heart, and you knew that you needed to respond. But pretty soon, your heart has become hardened, and it no longer affects you. You no longer come. You no longer hear the gospel message. You live your own life. You are responsible. Here's something that is truly amazing. We were born, we were conceived in sin and born in iniquity. We had no choice in that, right? There's no way that we could get out of that either. What could we do? But the cross is central to everything. Because at the cross now, God has given each and every one of us a choice. We have a choice whether to receive Christ or to refuse Christ. And that choice is what is going to define where we're spending eternity. Are you going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ? Or will you be wailing in the lake of fire? That is a reality. But I challenge you, if you haven't received Jesus, your life is a vapor. You're not guaranteed of tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation for you. For the believer, many times we have to come back to the cross. Many times we come back to the cross because we get all entangled with the world and we're no longer walking worthy of the calling wherewith we've been called and we need a fresh look at the cross. What is your poison? What is it? it can be drugs, alcohol, pornography. What's your poison? If you have these kinds of problems, I ask you, come to the cross. If you see Jesus hanging there on the cross, suffering and paying the price for your sins, you'll go away changed. You can't help but be changed if you have another look at Christ crucified for you. I trust that we, can, we will each take it to heart, every one of us, whether we're saved or not saved. This is important stuff. And we're now entering into days that are going to become more difficult as we proceed. We need to be established, first of all, that Jesus loves us and it casts out fear. There's no place for fear among the people of God. I pray that this will have been a blessing for you tonight. But don't put it off if you need to make that decision tonight.